We serve a wonderful God. And today we gather to honour him uh, for who he is and what he has done for us. I'll pray and then we'll get started. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we want to pause and just honour you. Uh, You are the eternal, true and living God. And we thank you that in this time and place you've gathered us um, to listen to you, um, to worship you and to remember all that you've done. We know that you have plans to speak to us this morning. Please give us ears to hear, soft hearts that we would respond in repentance and faith as we look at the Lord Jesus and what he has done. Amen. I have a friend who is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus amongst those who have not yet heard. And one um, story that he often uses is Isaiah 53. He won't tell them where it comes from, but he asks them, look, if you don't mind, I'd like to share a story with you. And as you hear it, I'd like you to tell me, who do you think it's speaking about? And so he reads through Isaiah 53 and then asks them, so who is this talking about? And often they'll say, look, I, I don't know too much of Jesus, but I think it is speaking of him. From what I know, it speaks so clearly of who he is and what happened at the end of his life when he was killed. And my friend says, look, I think I agree with you. I think this is about him. But the only problem is it was written 700 years before he lived that out. And it's quite a profound reality to think that God, 700 years before the Lord Jesus would come, gave us this particular chapter so that we could be confident that when those things panned out as they did, it was no accident but it was part of the eternal plan of God. When we think of the Gospels in the Bible, we will often think there are four. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, these stories written by eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus, speaking of what he said and what he did and particularly focusing on this last week of his life in his death and then in his resurrection. But this book of Isaiah has often affectionately been known as the fifth gospel, written 700 years before he arrived, but full of so many truths of the Lord Jesus so that we can know him and love him and follow him. From chapter 40 onwards, Isaiah, this prophet, this preacher, was living in the southern kingdom of Judah, He'd spent previous decades in palace courts speaking directly to kings to say, listen to the word of God and walk in his ways. Lead your nation according to his righteousness. And yet now, from chapter 40 onwards, King Manasseh is in charge and he is not leading the people well. And so Isaiah and some of his followers, his disciples, they seem to have gone underground. And the messages that the Lord was giving Isaiah are messages to prepare them for an underground movement of following God and staying true to his ways. There are incredible, 
encouragements in these chapters for the disciples to be prepared so that when things got difficult, living in a society that was not following the ways of God, that these followers would not be thrown off their game, but they would be confident, no, God has something in store for us. As these chapters go on from chapter 40 onwards, we hear of this servant, this suffering servant. In chapter 42, chapter 49, chapter 50, and then in chapter 53. This figure that is spoken of, almost in teasing ways. And the disciples would have been wondering, who is this person? Who is this person that God is speaking to us through Isaiah? Who is this person to come? He seems like a great one that will do particular great things for God in such a way that it will impact us and change our lives. And so as these servant songs are spoken of, we come up to this last one, this fourth one, in Isaiah 53. And for us, living on this side of the Lord Jesus, we see the link so clearly. This morning I've asked Tom and Zoe to read it to us, so that as we just hear the reading of this chapter, that the Lord might speak. Sometimes we can overanalyze things and it can do us good just to simply let the word of God be spoken and for us to ask him to highlight what is it that we need to hear this morning. So I'd encourage you as they read and as they speak out this word of God that you would ask the Holy Spirit to highlight things particular words, particular phrases that the Lord wants to speak and draw your attention to. And then we'll unpack a few things afterwards. So Zoe and Tom, if you'd like to come and speak the word of God to us. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. 
For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the, Lord, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So what did you notice? What did the Spirit highlight for you? I'd encourage you to write that word, that phrase down or underline that verse. Maybe speak to someone afterwards and say, look, this is what I sense the Lord was highlighting for me. The thing that struck me. Don't take these things for granted. When the Lord speaks to us, he highlights things And we do well to listen and take it to heart. Let it rumble around in our soul and then respond in faith and obedience. A few things that I noticed were these. The first three verses, the words that came to mind was the humble humanity of Jesus. He came and he lived amongst us. He lived as one of us. And he blended in so well as one of the crowd that we didn't actually recognize him for who he was. He grew up before before us like a tender shoot. There was no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was completely ordinary in his external appearance In how people responded to him, he was completely ordinary human being. And we failed to recognize who he actually was. It reminded me of those verses in the first chapter of John, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. How blind that generation was and how blind we as a generation are to have one of this greatness living amongst us, yet clothed in humanity in such a way that we do not actually recognize him. And so people despised him rejected him, saw him as a man of suffering, working through all sorts of pain and not someone special. We notice his humble humanity, no special privileges. As we read on, the words that came to mind were sufficient sacrifice. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering 
yet we considered him punished by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Again, we considered him punished. A man that's life was ended on this earth in such a, such a clear execution. The people of his time judged him and considered him wrong and evil and a danger to society. Yet the Lord looked at him and saw him as a sufficient sacrifice, an acceptable payment for the sins of the world. God was following through on his eternal plan to make a way possible for our sin to be dealt with. This last week at Old Benalbo, we were joined by some Indigenous brothers and sisters. And amongst many stories that they told us, they mention about this practice of payback that's in many of the Indigenous cultures in Australia. When wrong is done by one clan to another clan, payback has to happen. A member of the other clan must accept the payback. It's often a beating, sometimes a spear through the leg. It is pretty full on. These are legalistic cultures that know that wrong must be punished. There is consequence. And so someone must accept that payback. I was hearing these stories as I was reading through Isaiah 53, preparing for today, thinking how incredible that the Lord Jesus would be willing to step forward, accept that payback for sin, accept that consequence of sin so that the tribes could go free, that sin could go. And there could be some degree of satisfaction for the wrong that had happened. These verses speak of a sufficient sacrifice that was able to deal with our sin once for all. Because this was an innocent one, accepting the punishment for the sin that you and I have committed. How good God is that he would make a way possible but it was at cost of his very dear son. As we read on verses 7 to 9, the words that came to mind were silent suffering. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Have there been times in your life where you are unjustly treated and you just want to speak that injustice out? So that everyone knows you do not deserve what is happening to you. And Jesus knew that. He knew he was the innocent one. But he chose not to speak out. He chose not to defend his honour. He chose to go through it for us. Silent and suffering. He was oppressed. He was punished. He was cut off. He was alone in his suffering, deserted even by those close friends that had seen everything for the previous three years. They scattered, they hid, and he died alone. 
As I was reading through this translation, verse 8 really struck me. Yet who of his generation protested? Who of the people at the time stood up and said, this is not right? This one does not deserve to die. Who of his generation protested? As we sung that song before, How Deep the Father's Love, we sung that line, Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice. We sung that. The generation at the time did not speak up. How often have we not spoken up but ashamed? Join in on the mocking as Jesus died on our behalf. He was mocked and he was insulted as he hung on the cross to the point where he even cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a silent suffering. And yet verses 10 through to 12, we see he receives the highest honour. It was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see and be satisfied. He will see the fruit of his death. Now we know there's a big spoiler alert in this whole story. On Sunday, he rises from the grave. Never to die again. But to sit at the right hand of the Father. And watch as people from every language and every tribe and every nation come to hear of what he has done and respond in faith and repentance and gratitude. What joy it must bring him when each one comes and sees his sacrifice for what it is. My mind flashed forward to Philippians Chapter 2, verse 9, that incredible hymn of the Lord Jesus. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, God the Father had not forsaken him. He had allowed him to go through this death, to go through this silent suffering, to provide that sufficient sacrifice so that sin could be dealt with once for all. And once it was accomplished, to raise Jesus from the dead so that he could then see people coming to faith and to see that it was all worth it. I asked Chris to read the part from chapter 52 separately. It gives an amazing summary. It forced me just to reflect on the words in those few verses and see them for what they are. 
And as I was reading through them, he is worthy was what came to my mind. God says, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Do you remember at the baptism of the Lord Jesus? The heavens open and a voice came down and says, See, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Here we see the same voice. This is my servant. You'll see how wisely he lives. Listening to me, obeying me and laying down his life for the sins of the world. We hear the pride of the Father in the faithfulness of the Son. And so the Father raises him up and says he is worthy. His name will be above every name. And though people may not recognize him now, one day they will. One day the whole world will. Kings will shut their mouths before him, kneel at his feet lay their crowns before him and recognize this is the true king and he's worthy of all praise. Sometimes in the scriptures there are a couple of variations of how things are translated. Sometimes that throws us out a little bit, but sometimes I think God puts in some nuance to the Hebrew so that we can learn something. Verse 15, one way of reading it, so he will sprinkle many nations. His death, that blood, will sprinkle many nations. Salvation is available for all languages and all peoples. But another way of reading it, so will many nations marvel at him. It's beautiful. As he lays down his life, as that message goes out to the ends of the earth, as that blood sprinkles many and they come to faith, so many nations will marvel at him. He is worthy. As I was reflecting on these things, my mind went to Revelation 5. It's a picture of the end times when there's gatherings of people that have been impacted by the gospel and they come together and they sing. Chapter 5, verse 9 of Revelation. They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. We read Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus came. And yet it speaks of things that are also fast-forwarding us to that moment in history where things will come to a culmination And many voices will recognize the Lord Jesus is worthy 
because he purchased men and women and boys and girls from every language and every people. All of humanity will be represented there, singing praise to him, recognizing him for who he is and recognizing him for what he has done. As we bring things to a close, I want you to recognize three things, three ways that you may apply some of these truths. The first thing is worship. When we recognize who he is and what he has done, we bow down and worship him. We speak with our words, he is worthy. And then we demonstrate with our lives that he is worth so much to us that we will walk in his ways, trust him, obey him, whatever the cost. That is how we demonstrate true worship, true recognition for who he is and what he has done. So another way you may respond is confession. Let us not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Let's recognize the many times that we have been. And as we gaze on him and worship him, let us repent of that double-mindedness in our spirit that is ashamed of him and does not speak up. Of that generation, no one protested what was going on. Will that be said of us in this generation? Will we be willing to humbly, graciously and with full of compassion speak the words of Jesus to those who have not yet heard? Say, let me tell you about him. So that you can see who he is, see what he's done, see what he's done for you. Let's confess how often we are ashamed. Let's ask for his help that we would not be ashamed ever again, but we would speak truth boldly of him. And then a third application is mission. We cannot hear these truths and not think about what does it mean to then go and seek out those who have not yet heard. So that the Lord Jesus, after suffering all that he suffered, could receive worship from those that don't yet know of him. But on that final day, can joyfully recognize him for who he is and what he has done for them. I want to finish with a story that we heard this week from one of these indigenous brothers. His name is James, he comes from the top end in Arnhem Land. And he talked about hearing of the Lord Jesus from early missionaries in Sunday school. He's now an old man, who knows how old, I'm guessing 50s or 60s. And he said when he was 16, he took a step of faith, saying, I believe Jesus and I want to follow him. But then he described a long life of getting torn in so many directions. He described it as having two feet stuck in the mud of his culture. He had taken one step forward in faith as a 16-year-old, but the other foot was firmly planted 
and he realized just three years ago, he and four other men, they stood in a river in the top end of Australia. Five men recognizing we have been trying to live two way. We've been trying to live according to our culture. We've been trying to live according to Jesus. But you cannot walk with one foot stuck in the mud and one foot stepping forward. We no longer want to live two way, they said. We want to live one way. We want to live with Jesus as Lord. And so three years ago, that second foot got unstuck. And this indigenous brother of ours started walking free, walking one way, following the Lord Jesus. He and these other men and some other women now have this challenge of listening to the Holy Spirit. What does it mean in their time and place to live faithfully one way for Jesus? What parts of their culture must they turn away from and separate? What parts of their culture now grow into their fullness because they can be lived out of glory for the Lord Jesus? It was a humbling moment for all of us whitefellas to hear of an indigenous brother working hard to look at his own cultural patterns and say, I don't want to live two-way anymore. I only want to live one way. Now, what is it like for us? How many of us have perhaps taken one foot forward in faith and have another foot firmly embedded in our culture and we are torn? We are trying to live two way. When I was hearing these stories of this these indigenous brothers making these statements of commitment to the Lord Jesus. It made me realise how mad our whitefellow world is becoming. And maybe we need this simple testimony of our First Nation peoples. They were here many years before any of us. And these ones are seeing the true and living God as their creator and as their saviour. And they are now speaking out words of grace and forgiveness and faith and repentance. They are saying in our culture we only know payback, but in the Lord Jesus, we know that is the grounds for true reconciliation between all of us and God and between any of us and each other. Maybe the soul of our nation needs to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus preached, demonstrated by indigenous brothers and sisters. Maybe that's a glimpse of what the Lord Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago when he laid down his life, his humble humanity, his sufficient sacrifice, his silent suffering. He was raised up and given the highest honour where we can recognise that he is worthy and as a multi-ethnic family of God's people, 
we can come together and recognize that and not be ashamed. I'm going to pray and I'm expecting some of the prayer will be worship, some will be confession, some will be a desire for mission. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all over the world on this particular day, you have brothers and sisters gathering together to worship you. Speaking different languages, in different sorts of buildings, in different climates, different time zones. But a demonstration of what you are doing in this world. Calling people out of our broken cultures helping us to see clearly who the Lord Jesus is and growing up into the fullness of life in him. We want to worship you for what you have done in being able to rescue global humanity like this. Thank you that we have been able to gather in this time and place. We want to confess our need for you. We want to confess that we live in a society here where each of us has that two-way sense in our hearts. Parts of our culture, our personality, our history that we continue to cling on. But those things being inconsistent with Jesus as King. We want to confess that that is our state. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to give us that conviction, to shine your light in our hearts, that we may see clearly what it is that you want us to turn away from and have nothing more to do with. And thank you for the help you give us in looking to the Lord Jesus, hearing of truth and responding in faith and obedience. And we pray for mission. We pray that we would not simply receive this good news for us, but that you would so transform us by it that we would be compelled to go and live amongst people that do not yet know and find ways of working together so we can be praying and sending and encouraging one another so that this good news of what you did 2,000 years ago on that Friday could be told to all the world. We pray for conversations we'll have after this, that you would strengthen us and encourage us to be the family of God that you've called us to be. Please energise us that we might see you clearly and be inspired to live one way for Jesus and not be ashamed of him. Amen.